All right. So I am going to probably keep this pretty short um, for a couple reasons, uh, one of which is that I have to get up pretty early um, tomorrow morning to get on my train, to get on my flight, to go back to the United States. Uh, and another is that I don't have that much power on my phone. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep this one short and sweet. Uh, but I wanted to uh, talk just a little bit about uh, some of what I have been up to uh, recently uh, and also take a couple of calls. So uh, I see we do already have one caller, but uh, before I get to him, uh, let me just uh, let me just spend a minute doing the first part, right? So uh, the reason why I have um, not been doing any of these the last couple weeks uh, is that I have been traveling, and the main reason I was doing that was so that I could go to this uh, festival, How the Light Gets In. So it's one of the festivals in Hay on Wye in Wales. That happens every year, and I was invited this year to do a lecture and a couple of debates and um, this breakfast discussion thing about my Hitchens book. So that is all of what I've been doing in the last few days. Um, But also I had, um, you know, my my sister lives not too far away from Hay. Uh, She's lived in the UK for about 20 years. And so, you know, this is the first time I saw her and my brother-in-law and my nephews since before the pandemic. So, you know, I I spent about a week with them before the festival started. And before that, uh, my good friend Ryan, who people will know for being a previous guest on this program, as well as on the main show on YouTube on many occasions, as well as being the, uh, the artist for the cover image of my first book, uh, the, that Dave, uh, uh, David Hume, uh, hushing Ben Shapiro as uh, Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings, that image. So, um, so Ryan just finished teaching a study abroad class on ancient Greek philosophy in Athens. And so since I was going to the UK anyway, to go to this festival, uh, and do these debates and all that stuff. Uh, so I stopped by there for about a week first. So overall, I've been traveling for about the last, uh, yeah, just about the last two weeks. Um, so, you know, whatever. Uh, Greece was great. Uh, first time I'd ever been over there. Uh, got to do some philosophy nerd stuff, like, you know, go uh, go see the last, you know, couple rocks that are left of what used to be Aristotle's Lyceum. Um, and, you know, and just whatever, hang out in Draguzo, uh, in Athens. And then, um, you know, spent a very quiet week with my sister and her family, uh, leading up to, uh, the, uh, the festival started. And then that started on Thursday. So on Thursday afternoon, um, I gave a talk on, um, well, it was just called Logic for the Left, but it was basically on my first book, the you know original Give Them an Argument, um, and which was great, you know, much better attendance than I was expecting, given that they uh, that I was scheduled against uh, Slavoj, um, who was also at the uh, at the festival, uh, got to hang out with him a bit, which was fantastic. 
uh, love that guy. Uh, but in any case, I had so considering that, I was amazed that it was a very full tent. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it was you know good uh, good audience, good stuff. And then uh, yesterday uh, morning, I did this. You know, they called a philosophy breakfast, where you know just came in to kind of give a little, uh, you know, over breakfast on Friday, kind of, um, essentially, uh, gave something like a talk, you know, discussion, uh, about, uh, the Hitchens book and Hitchens, which was great. There was this, uh, there was a guy there who had actually, uh, done a, uh, he'd filmed a documentary about Hitchens back in 1999 when no one left to lie to came out. Uh, for people who are unfamiliar, no one left to lie to is uh, Hitch's book about Bill and Hillary Clinton, which is fantastic. Uh, might actually be my favorite Hitch's book, and also one of the you know few, very few um, places, at least in the books. You know, there are obviously articles he wrote for the Nation like this and whatever, but uh, one of very few places in the books where he like really passionately gets into. Uh, domestic policy stuff. Um, you know, like there's a big chunk of that book that's about the kind of Dickensian horrors of Clinton's welfare reform. Um, and there's a lot of the death penalty in there and except, you know, Willie Ray Rector. And, you know, if you don't know who that is, uh, look him up and prepare to be disgusted and horrified uh, about Bill Clinton. So uh, when that book came out, this guy uh, Palash, uh, who's who's at the um, uh, who's at my breakfast talk thing, uh, did this documentary. I guess he followed Hitchens around, and um, Hitchens actually gave him carte blanche to film anything he wanted and uh, use anything he wanted with no editorial oversight. And that apparently got pretty pissed off at him for a few months after the movie came out because of some of what was included and then buried the hatchet. So, uh, so that was really great. And then, uh, did the first of the two debates that I was doing over the weekend on Friday afternoon, which was, uh, it was called the ignorance of experts. Uh, and, uh, there, uh, one of the other people was like a philosopher of science for the University of Leeds, and uh, the third one was Julian, I do not remember his last name, I feel bad, uh, who uh, is, like, I think has written quite a few, like, popular philosophy kinds of books, and it was basically about how we should feel about um, kind of deference to experts and how that went during the pandemic. And, you know, it was an interesting discussion. It was a little unfocused, but I thought it was it was good overall. Uh, I know it was being filmed. I'm not 100% sure what they're doing with that video. I hope it does make its way to YouTube sooner or later. And if it does, we'll certainly replay it on, uh, on GTAA. Um, but that one was kind of like half politics, half philosophy. There was a lot of stuff in there about how to think about... Um, okay, what are the kinds of things experts can be experts on, you know, thinking about facts and values. Um, and then on, um, later on Friday afternoon, I gave, I did this kind of, uh, workshop, uh, like a 
debate workshop for high school students with the festival, which was fun. And then uh, today I did uh, the, I also did like an interview, which again, I hope makes its way to YouTube eventually. I'm not sure what they're planning to do with it. But uh, but I also gave what I think was the sort of most interesting event, the one that I most hope makes its way to YouTube, so I can share with you guys, uh, which was a uh, debate. Uh, it was called Society 2.0, uh, which is a very hay festival kind of thing to uh, to call it. But uh, what it was about was the way that essential workers you know, people who were deemed essential workers, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, have, you know, jobs that are, you know, proved to need to be essential to, uh, to keeping society going, but are, you know, incredibly undervalued, uh, economically, you know, by, uh, by that society, uh, and, um, what we should kind of conclude from that going forward and, you know, about whether, you know, well, okay, so the framing of it, right, which which I, I did kind of object to at the beginning of the debate, but um, the uh, the framing of it, uh, here I'll read out the actual uh, the actual description of the topic. Uh, the it said the COVID pandemic opened our eyes to the job society can't live without, uh, from lorry drivers to supermarket shelf stackers, the Roles often seen as lower status proved indispensable. Um, both the left and the right, remember, this is not me saying this. This is just the description of the topic for the debate. Called for, uh, I don't really think this part is super accurate. Uh, called for unprecedented wage rises in these newly valued and vital sectors. But changes in wage levels also imply a reassessment of relative values we attach to the roles themselves. Should we conclude that we have overvalued professional and middle class no, Office and management roles, do we need to abandon the assumption that a university education leads to a more highly paid and valuable role and eradicate current social hierarchies in order to level up? Or should we retain pay differentials and protect the status quo with the educated elite taking the rightful place on top? Uh, and um, so that was, um, let's see, so that was the basic description and then, um, and then within that, there were these uh, further sort of questions that the moderator asked, uh, which were, um, one, is social hierarchy unavoidable? Two, should we conclude that we've overvalued professional and middle-class office and management roles? Three, what would leveled-up society look like? And can we ever get there? So as you can imagine, this is the one that I was most interested, uh, you know, you know, most kind of excited about, you know, over the, uh, over the course of the, uh, the festival. And so, you know, the points that I basically made and, you know, I should say also part of what made this interesting, I didn't realize in advance, uh, but, um, you know, the two other participants were, uh, Nabon, uh, uh, Metacox. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. Uh, who's described as an English DJ, radio presenter, and television produ- presenter and producer, and then uh, Thangan, sorry, Thangam Debonair, uh, who is the Labour Member of Parliament for Bristol West and current shadow leader of the House of Commons. By the way, I love that shit that they uh, that they have those titles there. 
you know, my favorite is Shadow Chancellor, which, you know, which sounds like something from like, uh, you know, the Shadow Chancellor, you know, that sounds like, uh, something from like a dark fantasy or horror novel. But in any case, um, so, um, describing, uh, herself as a Northern European socialist, Thangum supports fettered capitalism. Uh, so, you know, that put me definitely on the far left of, of the panel, right? So, um, this, yeah, this person who was the, again, the labor MP for Bristol West and current shadow leader of the House of Commons, which I guess is the, is the sort of, um, you know, the British way of saying that the, the person who, you know, I guess that's like being minority leader, um, and, uh, you know, in Congress, like, so that's the, you know, I suppose that'd be the equivalent job, um, you know, that, uh, you know, it'd be like if we called the, uh, the minority leader, the shadow speaker of the house. So, uh, but anyway, so I guess this person is like, a you know, center left Starmerite kind of, uh, kind of person. Uh, so, um, down with a certain amount of social democracy, definitely doesn't want to go beyond capitalism, um, is, you know, the vibe I got from this anyway. Um, and then, uh, Nimon seemed to be somebody, you know, the, uh, you know, radio presenter and television presenter and producer, uh, seemed to be somebody who was, um, you know, I mean, there's nobody on the panel who's really right wing, but uh, but Nimone seemed like somebody who maybe uh, seemed to be much more concerned with thinking about cultural values than economic structures. I think that would be a fair way of putting it. I don't even think that she would, you know, particularly take offense to that. Um, so, you know, one of the the points I made in the in the opening statement, you know, at the, uh, at the beginning, uh, is, you know, I said, okay, look, I don't want to bury the lead. Uh, so I think the answer to, you know, the sort of basic question, right. The, uh, um, you know, do we need to abandon, you know, the assumption that a university education leads to more highly paid and valued role to eliminate, uh, current social hierarchy I said, okay, look, I don't want to bury the lead. The answer to, should we, you know, eliminate current social hierarchies is definitely yes. Uh, but I do want to push back a little bit against the framing of the question, because when you say, um, you know, cause the question focuses on the assumption between on the inequality between workers who, you know, like people who have, uh, like middle-class professional jobs that they had to go to college to get, uh, the inequality between them and people with more blue-collar jobs. And, you know, something I pointed out in the opening statement is, look, of course, there is a lot, you know, the level of inequality between those two groups of people under our system genuinely is obscene. I mean, if you think about the difference between somebody who, like, has an MBA and has some sort of... um you know, managerial uh, office job at Amazon where uh, they're, you know, working behind a desk in an air-conditioned office, you think about the difference between their life and somebody who's doing 
literally backbreaking labor. If you look at the injury statistics of the Amazon warehouse, uh, you know, that is again, a, a very disturbing amount of inequality between those two people. But, you know, look, somebody with a good job at Amazon and somebody, uh, somebody with more blue collar job at Amazon, both of those people are peasants compared to the guy who owns the company. And, you know, as I said, also, by the way, owns his own spaceship, which is a, a detail that kind of tells you everything. So we're, uh, you know, so I, I think that the, you know, argument that I made in the debate is the path to a more equal, you know, society has to lie through focusing on that second inequality, right? You know, the inequality between uh, anybody who, you know, uh, who has a job. Right. And uh, and the people who they have jobs working for, uh, in other words, you know, the focus has to be on democratizing ownership structures, either by taking corporations into state ownership and running them in the public interest or converting them into internally democratic worker cooperatives or, you know, some combination of the uh, the two approaches in one way or another. And. Which, of course, is what uh, Bhaskar Sankara, Mike Beggs, and I advocate in the book we're writing for Verso called The Blueprint, where we call this FDS, Full Democratic Socialism. Uh, and I think that the, you know, it's certainly true that in a society where you had tackled that basic inequality on ownership relations, that, you know, look, would you have. 100% flat distribution of everything, like assuming we still had money, right? You know, would you have 100% flat wage scales? No, you wouldn't, right? Even in a worker cooperative, uh, you have some people who might be paid more than others because, um, you know, for example, on one end, you could say, you know, that, okay, here's some job you want me to do that's uh, – really stressful and you know involves lots of responsibility so I, I want to get paid a little bit more if i'm going to do that or on the other end here's something you want me to do that's really dirty and dangerous and i'm going to want more compensation if i'm going to do that but you know you're not going to get some people you know if you're pitched to your fellow workers as hey i want to be paid 500 times more than you and i'm not really going to do much of anything except like sign off on like high level decisions uh, because I want to buy my own spaceship, you know, that's probably not going to be a very successful pitch. You're not going to get anybody to be willing to vote for that. And so, you know, even though I do think that the focus needs to be on, you know, those inequalities and ownership relations, um, you know, I, I still do think that it is, you know, that in a more equal society, you know, once ownership relations, you know, had been democratized, uh, that, yeah, I mean, I do think that the the sort of dynamic between those different categories of workers would play out in a very different way, right? In a society where you didn't have a large mass of people who were so desperate that you know that they're you know that like they don't have any meaningful choice, um, it you know then you'd actually have to pay people. You'd be the opposite of how it played out under capitalism in the pandemic. You'd have to pay people much more to be willing to go out and take the risk of, you know, April 2020, uh, nobody's vaccinated, you know, uh, you have the original version of COVID, um, go out and take the risk of getting the plague every day, right? You'd have to pay people way more to do that than you would to uh, 
get them to do some job that has uh, that they could do on an employer provided laptop while they're staying safe at home with their families. So, you know, I mean, the fact that it, it was the opposite, you know, under capitalism really is, I think, a pretty terrible indictment of that system, right? So that's the basic case that I made, uh, which certainly, again, certainly put me to the left of the, you know, the labor MP who was, who was on the panel because she was very explicit about, you know, not having any interest in going beyond uh, social democracy, right? What she called the uh, Scandiwegians. Uh, in the uh, in the in the debate, um, but she wasn't really putting up much of a you know she wasn't really putting up like a robust defense of capitalism. She was just kind of taking for granted that um, that of course you know capitalism isn't bad. It's just that you know it needs to be not this unfettered and cruel, right? It needs to be a reformed version of it. Uh, but. But I think the real sort of point of tension that you'll see in the debate, whenever it does make its way onto YouTube, is about really more than anything. I mean, not just whether to go beyond, you know, uh, expansive welfare state social democracy to something entirely post-capitalist, but really I think the most important difference that came out was about how you could achieve even expanded welfare state social democracy, right? Because even the Labour MP at one point in the debate sort of said, well, you know, it's because uh, like Scandinavian culture, they understand you have to take care of everybody or whatever. And, you know, I kind of said, well, I don't, that's not really true, right? <laughs> like uh, there's actually nothing about like Swedish culture, for example, right? Sweden in the 70s, probably the high watermark for, how expansive social democracy has ever gotten in any society. You know, it's, it's, that has nothing to do with Swedish culture. You know, I mean, uh, Piketty talks about this, I think, in, uh, one of the first book, but I think it was the second one, Capital and Ideology, that, you know, like Sweden a hundred years ago was, uh, a brutally unequal society, right? It was, in fact, one of the most unequal societies in Europe. People had classed together with czarist Russia. You know, social democracy didn't, didn't just sort of, you know, pour out of Swedish culture. It was won by really militant um, industrial unions allied with socialist political parties. So anyway, uh, that's probably enough about that. Uh, we have a couple calls, so let's see if we can uh, get to the both of them uh, before we have to cut it off for today. All right. Eric, what's on your mind? Wow. Uh, can you hear me? I can. Well, thanks for taking my call. I think it's very interesting to think about what Christopher Hitchens would uh, be thinking about today. Do you ever think about that as, uh, you know, would you think he would have liked you or, you know, would have uh, debated you or what would he have said about you? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he, uh, you know, I mean, he would have, vig- you know, he would have obviously really objected to the parts of the book where I criticize, you know, him, especially in the late life foreign policy views. Yeah, because I um, mean, um, I always, uh, you know, there was Norman Finkelstein who wrote about Hitchens, and I was, you know, I was a big fan of Hitchens, you know, because of he was very obviously incisive and, um, you know, rhetorical in his rhetoric, I should say, but it doesn't necessarily mean that good rhetoric is good thinking, and I think that's a big problem. Um, perhaps on every side, but you know the, the left is not quite understanding um, these days. 
But um, I did want to ask you, though, because uh, uh, I, I was curious, you know, he was very, um, very, uh, I, I guess, incisive. But let me ask you this. So you wrote the book, um, it was uh, Canceling Comedians While the World Burns, right? Yep. And um, I think, obviously, you know, I mean, it's a punchy title. I mean, you know, what more can you say, right? It's true. But then I sort of didn't quite get what your take sure. was when, um, perhaps you know where I'm going with this, when uh, Anna Kasparian said that Jimmy Dore, there's no place for him on the left. And I sort of was waiting for you to kind of point out that you had written a book called Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. So I was wondering if you could talk about that. Sure. So, uh I don't. Okay, so so let me uh, so let me see. You said a few things the last couple of minutes. Let's see if I can do all of them, you know, real quick uh, in succession. Um, yeah, I think actually probably I think actually probably Hitchens would have been willing to debate me. I think he seemed to be pretty promiscuous about that, and it would have been amazing. And I I would have probably been embarrassed, but you know, it would have still been amazing. Um, on uh, the feel like there's something in between there and Jimmy Dore, but I've lost it. Um, well, anyway, whatever. So let's do that. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, so why, why is the book called canceling comedians while the world burns, right? Like, why is it called that? Uh, because it's about, you know, this, this kind of culture of, you know, counterproductive moralism and, uh, people, um, you know, people getting, you know, getting sort of swept up in like silly distractions, right? You know, that they, uh, so, you know, I, I figured, okay, look, what's the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, what's the ultimate kind of example of this, right? Like, you know, like that's, that's the, the like really clear example of. Well, to my uh, mind, the ultimate example is Anna Kasparian saying there's no okay. place for Jimmy Dore on the left. And so, so, like, because so, so, he said uh, nice news skirt and um i don't know i mean i do i would like to just ask i mean sure sure, sure. so what do you think so, of that sure um i mean i think that uh i think that if you if you make say you know if you make sexually demeaning comments about somebody in the workplace i think that's fucked up uh i think that the you know but i think that like i do want to say that um you know, I don't talk a lot about Jimmy Dore uh, because I, I, I sort of think that um, even though a lot of people would be interested, I mean, I, I actually think like, you know, I could do, you know, like, like I dislike the guy. I have, uh, you know, and and you know, I could do like. So Jimmy do you Dore. agree there is no place on the left for Jimmy Dore? I don't. I don't know what that means. What, what does that Sounds mean like to you? Sounds like canceling a comedian while the world burns. Okay, but like, does that have anything to do with his role as a comedian? Yes, I mean, like it does, that's that's like he makes he made fun of her, but he made fun okay. of her specifically for something, uh, you know, surrounding force of the vote. So what I don't like, Mister Burgess, so, is that Christopher Hitchens would have sure. dove right into any debate, and you are clearly eliding the debate. Which is, of course, if I if I if I, I, to... I lighted the debate because yes. I didn't I, I didn't comment on this one piece of like media personality well, drama like beat, that. If like, your beat is that, you that are you are claiming every, to be every uh, every uh, someone who's trying to help the left discourse, right? Yeah. So 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 I, I am I am gonna just just say this right. So uh, so I think that one thing that left discourse has entirely too much of is people weighed in on drama. 
uh, between uh, between media figures. I'm not that interested in that. I also think that they have a uh, that you know like what's what I was saying earlier. Um, you know about why that example is like picked for the title. You know beyond the fact that it alliterates. You know why it's picked for the title is because comedians as comedians don't matter they're not important right now if the um you know somebody like jimmy Dore, or for that matter like sam cedar who has like a background in comedy or you know we could probably come up with like a few other names like this right you know who are people who you know were comedians vladimir Zelensky. and be- Vladimir Zelensky, sure, why it's not? It's odd right? to me though because you uh, read a book called I don't, Comedians. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, matter, I don't think, but you don't think comedians I don't, I don't, have any purpose, right? So it's weird. Why write the book then? Well, I think I just explained it. Right? I don't think you did. So, so tr- I think. Okay, I think okay so, 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 would have found you very think, evasive, and you would have. Okay, so I did actually explain it, uh, and I, I just muted you. I, that's all I meant to do is mute you so I could do this for a minute. I'll get you back on in a second. But uh, but I do want to get through what I was saying because you kept interrupting me. So um, the, uh, the, so the purpose, you know, yes, I don't think comedians are important. That's why that's the example in the title. So now that I can get through a sentence, let's, uh, let's do this one more time because I think it's a very simple point. The, uh, the, the point of the book is uh is to assail people for um you know f- like for um for not thinking strategically for getting caught up in a kind of counterproductive moralism for getting ca- caught up in silly sideshows and distractions the fact that i think comedians are incredibly unimportant look i like comedy as an art form quite a bit actually but politically no there's no power, right? If you actually read the comedy chapter of the book and not just read the title, right? That's the exact point made there, that thinking that comedians are really important um, is, you know, is a kind of symptom of a bad theory of change, whether we're talking about people who, like, worship comedians. Like, I give the example of the rally to restore sanity uh, with Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert, or people who think that it's, like, really important to go after problematic comedians, I think in both of those cases, you know, I think, you know, again, artistically, sure, great, right? But you're assigning, you know, comedy a kind of political importance that it just objectively doesn't have, which is what makes it a perfect example of a silly, unimportant sideshow, right? That's the contrast, right? When you say, if the title, you know, if you're a ancient Roman polemicist and you, uh, and you write a book, um, you know, you, you write a pamphlet attacking Emperor Nero, and it's called, you know, Fiddling While Rome Burns. Uh, the point of the book is not that you think that fiddling is really important. <laughs> you know, it's the exact opposite of that, right? And similarly, neither comedians nor the canceling, you know, comedians, you know, it's not that, like, the canceling of comedians is the worst thing you could possibly do, and that's what's animated the book. It's exactly the opposite. Again, it's like Fiddling While Rome Burns, that, you know, you're canceling... Um, you know, you're engaged in silly exercises like denouncing people with no political power, uh, like like comedians, uh, which is a bad use of everybody's time, right? That's the point of the book. Now, when it comes to your Jimmy Doors, your Sam Cedars, your Vladimir Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky's, 
Um, yeah, look, I don't think that uh, I don't think that Vladimir Putin is canceling a comedian while the world burns and uh, it invaded Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that you know. I don't think that people who really hate Sam Cedar's guts. Uh, and you know, and, and really angrily attack him because of his role as a political commentator are doing that, and uh, and I don't think anybody who's a you know who has this a parallel attitude towards Jimmy Dore as a political commentator is um, is is doing that right, um, and and so I I think like this is a prime example of yeah I mean I guess if you only know the title of the book you know maybe that would seem ironic to you but like you know if you got through the first you know 10 or 15 pages of the book and so you actually know what i say about comedy the opening comedy hook of the book right like i i don't really i don't really see the connection and i certainly don't think that it's um not weighed in on some bit of uh of media drama uh is is evasive i actually think that that we'd have a much better left media if far fewer people weighed in on far fewer pieces of um of media drama you know i i think that they you know i mean look do i care at a personal level about that interaction that you just said yeah i do i think that's a i think that's a gross thing to do uh and anna is a friend of mine and so you know i certainly didn't like hearing about it i i was i was pretty grossed out about it but, you know, politically, uh, do I think that, like, what goes on between Anna and Jimmy is important? No, I don't. I, I, I think that, I think, honestly, I think people obsessing about drama like that is kind of a cancer on, uh, on left media. I think we'd be much better off without it. All right. Um, Strom, are you with us? Strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, am I coming through now? Yes, you are. Cool. Um, number one, just wanted to say, um, nodding on Dramatis Carborundum, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing was, um, uh, I had a question, but I just thought I'd sure. make a comment now instead. Um, Jimmy Dore is not welcome on the left because he's not seriously invested in challenging capitalism. I question to what extent extent Anna is herself, but I mean, that's why Jimmy Dore is not welcome on the left. I just think that he he isn't a serious critic of capitalism, a proponent of a whatever you want to call it, a production for use society. So that's that's my take on it. I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess I would just say, like, look, I probably have, you know, a, uh, you know, a broader, you know, broader tent or more charitable view of, of, you know, some of these figures than you do. But I mean, like, I would just say, like, you know, what is left media for? Right. What are you trying to do? Right. Are you are you trying to like stir the pot about things that you think people get excited about, you know, so you can like harvest a lot of clicks, you know, like I see a lot of that and I don't like it. Right. You know, or are you, are you trying to spread some kind of ideas that you think are going to be, you know, 
politically important or are going to be useful uh, to, um, you know, are going to be useful to uh, to a larger cause, right? I mean, God, even, you know, I mean, even the cause of like achieving some basic, you know, social democratic baby steps, never mind anything, anything beyond that, right? And um, and I think that's how you should judge, you know, any of these people, right? I mean, like, how are they, you know, how are they using, you know, how are they using whatever you know, whatever platforms they have, you know, what are they, you know, what are they focused on? Right. You know, and, and so, you know, I think that, um, you know, one of the, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I don't always agree with her about everything, but, you know, one of the reasons that I do have, you know, more positive, uh, you know, view about Anna is that, is that they, is that she has, um, you know, she has done that, I think, to, to a certain extent. I think that, like, I think that she, you know, I, I think that she does, for you know, seem to be more focused on uh, those sort of, like, broader, you know, broader goals than on, than on like, you know, the sort of, you know, on pot stirring, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's my take. Like, I liked the debate, you know, that she did with Ben Shapiro because she kept redirecting it from, like, culture war stuff to, like, you know, you should like organize unions and like that's uh build working class power that'll help you achieve, you know, important um you know, important reforms. And like I don't you know, I don't honestly I don't even know that I even necessarily know that much about Jimmy Dore. I mean I'm mostly he mostly bubbles to the you know he mostly kind of comes into view and is somebody I become aware of when there's some sort of like big flashy toxic media controversy that he's involved in. So, you know, so given that, you know, my view's pretty negative, but like it could be that for all I know, if I watched enough of his his content, you know, he is doing stuff to that I would have a more, you know, like positive view of and in a lot of it, right? I mean I, I think I mean I guess I do kind of think, right? Obviously, you know, coming out of TMBS, I I can't think of him without thinking about the thing about Lavajato, right? So I think there are cases where maybe he runs his mouth without doing enough research, but maybe overall, you know, you know, he has a more good role than bad one. I just I couldn't say what I've seen has turned me off, but like I just I feel like this is already too many minutes spent talking about Jimmy Dore. Uh, do you, what, what were you originally going to ask about? Um, oh, I, I was, uh, gonna ask what you thought was the best antidote to these arguments of, you know, national essentialism and cultural particularism that either dissuade people from trying to agitate in areas they perceive to be totally controlled by socially reactionary sentiment, uh, calls people to be complacent in places like in Norway or Sweden uh, yeah. places like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's a huge problem. I mean, I think that, like, I think the kind of historical point, you know, from earlier, I, th- I think is, is important for anybody who will listen to it, right? That it's, it's not, um, you know, as, yeah, as Michael Brooks once put it to me, right? You know, it's, it's not that, you know, like, uh, you know, Norway doesn't have a big welfare state because everybody went to the same Lutheran church, right? I mean, like, if you actually look at the history of this stuff, right, it, it really was, um, you know, one through class struggle. And I think that, like, I think a lot of times, I think it can be 
really useful to to just look at um to just kind of like dig deeper into what people's view are like when they say like things like oh well they could have that because like the it's so you know ethnically or racially or culturally homogenous you know like really ask them a lot of follow-up questions right about what that means what the mechanism is right like how does like everybody you know being a white christian which is essentially what they mean by that right how does that actually translate into this and do you really think that it, you know what about all those other places in the world where those things are you know they're just as homogenous you know that but that don't have those big um you know big welfare states and i also you know and you know i and I think, you know, you can make structurally parallel points about, you know, American history and looking at places where, you know, pl- you know, places that we think of maybe now as like super reactionary parts of the country that, you know, uh, in some cases were like much less so when there were like big, powerful miners unions there and like what's the, you know, what's the connection. But I mean, these are just kind of scattered ideas for like points you can make in conversation. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, tried to uh, try to disabuse people of of that stuff is, um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's an incredibly important task. I certainly don't claim to have all the answers about how to do that. But uh, let's go to uh, to Michael. Last call of the night. What's on your mind? Oh no. Michael, you're with us. Can you hear me? I can. Well, you caught me eating. Um, but, uh, sorry. No problem. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. My son is here. Oh. To... <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> What's up? Oh, no. All right. I'm very sorry. I had a, I, I had <laughs> no an worries. emergent situation there. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the, the first call kind of brought up something that I had been thinking about recently about sure. the left since Bernie. And, you know, I really feel like, and, and actually this happened a lot during the Bernie campaign, but I didn't think of it as, of, as much of a problem, but like, it just seems that a lot of people came into that campaign. A lot of the you know activists who came into it ended up kind of viewing it as like a terrain of struggle, you know, uh. for uh, for their own you know like the left uh, whatever whatever they happen to be doing beforehand. And I think a lot of this gets blamed on like the identitarians, you know, within within like DSA or who flooded into the campaign, uh. and that was certainly part of it, but. I don't think that's all of it. I think there are a lot of people who kind of like are on the left and, and if you scratch the surface, um, that, you know, what they're really engaged in is kind of like a culture war with the liberals rather than, uh-huh. you know, something else. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you- uh, painted with too broad a brush. I just think it's a tendency that's out there. If you look at how people kind of, so so over so what so just to be clear when you say culture war with the liberals uh that sort of sounds like culture war against the liberals but what you really mean is like culture war like alongside the liberals or Um, i i I just want to make sure i'm clear on what you're saying i was actually kind of thinking that more like that 
you know, that, that they're, yeah, it's more like culture war against the liberals to an extent, you know, it's like okay, still can... in the same coalition, the broader coalition, but, um, yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Well, can, yeah. But can, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, I think, um, Um, okay, so uh, I I uh, think it's important to analyze, uh, you know, class, you know, like in an activist situation from the perspective of, you know, how is, you know, how are people working? Where are they working? How does work affect their home life? How could they be organized to work? Those kinds of issues. Right. Like our class issues, but I do think right. um, if you listen to like a ton of like lefty media, uh-huh. you might you might think um, what you really kind of need to do is is say, well, we need to like you know focus on on class, and then uh. what what doesn't happen is the class doesn't really get defined very well. It's just like they'll get they'll constantly get into fights with you know people who are trying to distract from it, which I see is more, is kind of like, you know, a, a cultural battle between, you know, what, what are the ideas in your head? How are, what's your framework versus what are you doing to identify ways to like organize? Um, okay. I'm sorry if I'm. A no, no, I, I, I think I gotcha. So, um, yeah. So, so I mean, a lot of it ends up, you know, even though, even though on the surface, like it claims to be about, you know, class politics, it's not really because it's like, it's really about like discourse, right? You know, it's, it's about like, right. uh, you know, so, um, you know, so even though like in theory, there's some kind of commitment to class politics underlying it, it's like you, you never, uh, um, yeah, you never actually get to the, uh, yeah, you never actually get to the box factory or whatever. I'm, I think I'm actually fucking up that uh, that reference, <laughs> but uh, you know, whatever whatever it was, uh, when they go to the box factory, wherever it was that Millhouse thought they were going. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, so that that seems. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a totally fair. Uh, I think that's totally fair criticism. I mean, I think that it's, you know, I, I mean, in a way, I actually think it. I mean, I guess you kind of said this, but I mean, like, I think it kind of does go back to my issue with the first, you know, the first call, right? You know, which, uh, uh, I guess I never end up going back to the, that's my bad, but, uh, that I think that, like, you know, cause, cause when I hear stuff like that, right? Like, and it's, and like, I, I tend to hear a fair amount of it cause like, a lot of people who pay a lot of attention to like left media stuff, like have people that they like really intensely hate. And, uh, and they, and like, if you've ever had a friendly conversation with one of those people, they want to know why you won't denounce them for like whatever, (laughs) you know, whatever it is that they, you know, that they're most mad about them about. Uh, so like the class, you know, I guess I get a little bit less this now, but like the classic version of it is that like, there are people who, um, you know, uh, you know, there are people who are like furious at me that like, I'll, you know, that I never like 
did some big formal denunciation of like Glenn Greenwald as being an enemy of the people or whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, and it's like, well, I mean, I've actually talked many times about things that are obviously massive political disagreements that I have with that man. Right. Like, uh, you know, I don't. I think right wing populism basically doesn't exist, but, um, but that's not good enough, right? Because like, what they really want is denunciation. You know, <laughs> you know what what they really want is like, you know, I hereby declare that like Glenn is a bad person, um, and if I haven't done that, I must, I must, you know, whatever, think the opposite or like. And it's the same, you know, whether it's like, you know, why haven't you denounced Glenn Greenwald or why haven't you denounced Anna Kasparian? You know, it's like the same kind of impulse, I think. Uh, and and it just, you know, and it's like, okay, like part of why I don't like that is obviously that I just kind of find it distasteful. But like, I think there is a more principled reason not to be crazy about that, which I think you're kind of hinting at with that question, which is like, okay, but like, what are you actually doing here? Right? Like, what's the point of all this? Um, what, yeah. you know, yeah, like, cause it's very easy if you're in media and you're obviously very interested in media and you spend all of your time on it, and you know, you like, it's very easy to just be doing like discourse about discourse. Um, but it just doesn't seem super helpful to me. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd rather spend my time, um, you know, I'd rather spend my time like, uh, talking about, um, you know, talking about stuff like what I was talking about with Strom, right? About like the, you know, uh, how it is that, you know, like, um, like how it is that like, you know, those North, those Scandinavian countries actually achieved those big welfare states and like how we could do the same thing here. Right. You know, like for example, uh, or like arguing about why we should have those, you know, those kinds of reforms or arguing about why we should go beyond that. Like that all seems much more useful to me because, you know, and I, and I guess that's probably like, you know, as good a point as any to like leave off on tonight. I mean, the thing that I was thinking about and, you know, whatever, I mean, go back uh, with great distaste for 10 more seconds to Jimmy Dora. Right. I mean, like this is always kind of, you know, what bothered me about the, the force the vote stuff. And there's other more recent controversies, kind of from the other end of left media that have bothered me in the same way that it's like, what's the, what's the purpose of left media? Like why have it at all? Right. Like, okay. Obviously I think, you know, I enjoy, you know, talking and arguing and all that stuff. Um, but like, you know, I hope there's some larger <laughs> redeeming purpose for, for doing that. And I think the yeah. big distinction you have to keep in mind is that, like, this is not politics in itself, right? Yeah. This is talking about politics. Talking about politics and politics are different, right? I mean, this is like the, you know, um, you you don't, uh, like, you know, being, you know, like Skip Bayless would not make a good quarterback, right? You know, like, I think that the people who who were, you know, like, like I don't think, you know, political commentators aren't in themselves like leaders of, you know, of, of political struggle in a concrete way. Right. Like it's a, you know, but I hope, right. That it's not just like, you know, ESPN commented on sports, right. For politics. Right. Cause that sounds like 
not something that I'd really want to spend my time doing, right? Like that, right. like, you know, like I hope what it is is something that's useful for people pushing a left agenda in real politics that, you know, that it, 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 that it's, it's an auxiliary to it. Right. Um, but it's like a useful auxiliary. Uh, and I think it can be a useful auxiliary in all sorts of ways. I think that, you know, I think that people, you know, I think that left media could be a tool for bringing people on board with certain kinds of political commitments who then, because you sort of bring them around in the substance, they then get involved in, you know, in, in actual, you know, real world political organizing where you talk to your coworkers and stuff. Um, so I think that's one thing that it could do. I also think that it can, like, you know, I also think even like when you like do a debate with somebody that can help to model for people like how they could talk to, you know, like make, you know, some version of those same arguments to people they know in their lives. Uh, I think that it can also just like, you know, I think there's also something just useful about helping to get people who are actually leftists already um, clearer in their own heads about what they think and why. And also how they can explain it to other people, right? I mean, a lot of people, I think, become leftists because they have a sort of amorphous, intuitive sense that there's something very wrong with the status quo, that, you know, that the, that it would be better if we had a more equal society. But, um, you know, but they can't necessarily explain that well. And, you know, so, yeah, I think making people more confident about, you know, exactly what those ideas are and how they can explain and all that stuff I think is good. And then I think there's also a certain kind of like, you know, um, political USO aspect to it, right? Entertaining the troops, I think is legitimate, but, um, you know, but <laughs> again, all of those are sort of useful auxiliary roles that it could maybe play. But the one thing you absolutely don't want to do is do left media in a way that's actually going to detract from people who are doing left politics in real life or, you know, that's, that's going to create headaches for them. Um, you know, they, you know, to, um, not to, this is as close as I'm going to come to, uh, directly speaking to this particular controversy, but I, you know, I donated some money to Kristen Gonzalez a couple days ago, right? You know, people may get that reference. Uh, but like, the one, and this is part of why I think the sort of more principled reason to like really, really hate seeing so much of left media get sucked into commentary on like drama and beefs between people in left media, right? You know, because that's, you know, that's like a purely self-contained universe thing that, that has no uh, immediate relationship, right, to anything going on outside of it, right? I mean, like, even if, like, whatever guy in media, girl in media, whatever that you most hate, right, like, let's say, you know, they're let's say the worst things that you might think about them are true, that, that either they're like secretly a right winger or they're slowly becoming a right winger, or maybe they just don't have any politics at all. They're just a sheer opportunist who are pretty, you know, they're pretending to think things. Okay. Let's say that's true about any of these people. Okay. And right. Like, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I, I mean, yeah. my ch- yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like people saw, you know, like 12 million people vote for Bernie in 20, 2016 and, you know, some some people out there, and I, and I know I'm using the sum, but it's like, 
It's like some people seem to have acted like, oh, well, that's 12 million people that I can screen for whether they're good leftists or good, you know, moral. No, totally. You know, and really it should have been like, God, there's 12 million people who are are resonating with this. uh, this Yeah, that's that's a resonate more, you know. Exactly. That's a wonderful start. How could we make it 24 million or 36 million? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and this is what, like, you know, uh, canceling comedians while the world burns. I mean, this is what that book is actually about, right? I mean, try to try to get the kind of left that, you know, is less interested in screening people for, you know, this kind of inventory of their soul, like to see like, okay, but like, which of you and your heart are really, truly, you know, have all the right, you know, views and commitments and like, you know, really count, right? Like, I don't, you know, don't do that, right? I mean, like, uh, you know, like, I don't, don't care about that, right? Care about how you're going to expand and, and, you know, and and convince more people, right? You know, and and I think that that's, I think that's got to be the point. And and all of this kind of, um, you know, left, uh, yeah, all this like left media, you know, like sort of drama within left media, you know, is all just seems to me like it's it's pointed in exactly the opposite direction from, you know, trying to see like, okay, how can you like reach out to like many more people and like and get like many more people to come around to your side, which by the way, when that happens, right? When many poor people do come around to your side, what that looks like is in practice is that you have a lot of people who are like deeply confused and having coherent views. It's just, you know, cause like that's how people are. Right. You know, and like have, and like, you know, so some people are going to like in a very coherent, clean way, come around to your side. And some people are in like a, you know, in a messy, inconsistent way, they're going to like inch further in your direction. Right. Like they, I always think of the people who, you know, had their 2016 Bernie stickers right next to their 2012 Obama stickers and didn't see any contradiction between them, right? You know, they never saw the need to get rid of the 2012 sticker. And it's like, look, from my perspective, that's incoherent, right? I mean, Obama is, you know, is is a neoliberal. But, um, uh, you know, even though that's a correct critique, though, right? Like, I'd, I'd much rather those people have an incoherent combination of views that now includes good stuff that I can work with, right, you know, then, then just have them, you know, stay where they were in, in, uh, in 2012, right? And then the same point applies yeah. for, you know, for whatever. I mean, like, this is, you know, I mean, same, yeah, same deal for, uh, you know, if, like, you know, if, if Joe Rogan's a little all over the place, but, like, he could, like, come around to, you know, being on, you know, being on the team for a point, you know, during the 2020 election, then great, right? I mean, that's 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 good news. You want that, right? So, anyway, uh, I don't know that I have yeah. anything. Yeah. Do you I, want to say something else about that? Yeah, just like, yeah, just the last thing. I mean, just about the contradictions. I mean, it, you know, like the things, a political life becomes so vast that, you know, like I just spent this morning knocking on doors for Beto O'Rourke, who I do not like at all. Um, but just his, you know, what he did last week on, on the guns, I think maybe was gave an inkling that his political calculus is right, which is, I don't have a chance in the world. I better at least double down on the thing that 
made people like me a little bit. Um, <laughs> and you know, I kind of, I like that and I'm like, okay, I don't like this guy, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, devote a little bit of time. And that's pretty inconsistent with my politics in a lot of ways, but you know, it's what I'm doing. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. It's uh, you know, it's about midnight here. I'm pretty fried. I don't know that I have anything uh profound to say about that. But uh, yeah, but I have, thanks. uh, but um, but yeah. I don't know. I guess that's you know. I, I guess uh, you know the uh, you know the takeaway for me is you know I don't really I don't really care very much. You know what anybody you know like. You know, there are people in left media I can't, you know, I cannot stand. Uh, there are people I kind of like. There are people who are, like, good personal friends of mine. But, like, in a larger sense, I don't really care what you think about any of them. I care what you think about, like, healthcare and unions and, like, you know, how you can, like, achieve a more equal society. And I care about whether you're trying to do something to, you know, help get other people on board with that. So... I'm just going to leave it there uh, for um, uh, Eric. I see you're back in the queue. Fair enough. Just just call it at the beginning of next time, and we can have this out. But I think I'm I think I'm about done with this for tonight. So um, going to leave it right there. Left is best.